Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. To GAA people in Louth and beyond, he will forever be remembered as the winning captain in that famous year of 1957. It was a great feeling. The whole significance of it didn't sink in fully at the time. Fantastic occasion. Just, so just wish we could do it again. But to so many more, Dermot O'Brien's music, and in particular his skills on the accordion, were the attributes which exceeded everything else. I'd say the football helped him all, like, made his name, like, the music came after him. He had a card in he probably walked his way up in the valley he got. It wasn't long then until he was back in it with, with his band. To me, he was the best musician ever and the best brother anyone could have, you know, he was so kind and he was gentle and he was a great character. He'd love to go out for dinner with Dermot because the crack would be 90 with him and he'd tell you all the stories about all his band members and all the things that used to happen. In the years following his prowess on the football field, he became one of Ireland's best-known and biggest draws in the era of the show bands and the cabaret. I think we grew up with it. Daddy would have practised virtually every day. There would have been music in the house. Some of the songs definitely would have more resonance than others. Dermot was a star. He didn't need any help. He was bloody great. He was a great entertainer, you know. And as a musician, what I'm told by the people who, who do know music and didn't know music, that he was one of the best. Like He could read the music and he could write music and... Oh, yeah, talented man. He made the Cuckoo Waltz a kind of, it was a household tune at the time. And that's where we first heard Dermot O'Brien. And we were influenced by his music. Dermot O'Brien, born October 23rd, 1932. He passed away on the 22nd of May 2007, aged 74. The ultimate all-round entertainer, his multitude of achievements included sharing a stage with the likes of Johnny Cash, Hank Snow and Bill Haley in the Comets. He appeared on TV alongside Bing Crosby, while his catalogue of hit songs secured his place as one of Ireland's greatest ever entertainers. There were some humps and bumps along the way too, not least the financial crisis of the 1980s, when Dermot was forced to head for a new life in the United States. But he refused to allow that setback knock him, and he built up his career all over again. He travelled the world on tour, but never forgot his roots, returning to perform in Ireland regularly before finishing his days back home in his native town. So how and where did it all start for this multi-talented Ardonian, the man who became known as the King of the Accordion? Born into a musical family on Hale Street, Dermot's father Paddy was the bandmaster with the R.D. Brass and Reed Band, while his mother Nancy also had a grow for singing. So perhaps it was inevitable that the O'Brien children would also take a liking to performing as soon as they were old enough. While Dermot ultimately became the famous one, his sister Mary was also a talented performer in her day, and she goes back to the time growing up in RD and the influence of their parents. Mammy was a terrific singer, and she had an aunt who taught music. She was a, a Mercy sister in Alabama, and Daddy was the bandmaster in RD. He taught all the instruments, and he taught them all. He taught them all great instruments, but... He didn't teach them how to walk and play. It's actually, you know, it's a heading from the Drahad, I think it was in, where he got them. He got them as far as Cullen, Cullen and Paul Manning's lorry and sent Paul home and marched them and drove the cattle mad in the fields. But by the time they reached Ardy, they could march and play with the best of them. But he was, he was a great, he was a very intelligent, musically intelligent man. So the music was handed down. How many in the family, Mary? Five. One boy and four girls. So Dermot was surrounded by, by females in the house. Women, he loved the women, and the women all loved him. We loved him, looked after him. And the four girls, were you all interested in the music as well? Yes, yes, every one of us. Everyone, Trina, 
Tony and myself. I suppose maybe I took it, took to it a little quicker than the, the girls did. I don't know, but it stayed with me. Dermot, he was brought in, your, your dad would have brought him into the RD band? He brought him in as a child. I don't think he played any instrument in it, although he did in later years play the trombone, but he played the triangle. <laughs> He played the triangle and they were in Dundalk at a football match and Biddy the Onion was standing all her wares and he was watching her and tinging away on his triangle and when he looked up the band had moved on they were about a hundred yards away and he came running after him with his little legs to catch him. He was only five and he was carried away. And where did the interest then in the accordion come about? Would that have been through school? Well he learned the piano first with the, with the nuns in the convent and he went to Navan and he was staying with a lady in, in Navan and he must have seen or heard an accordion somewhere and he started playing or borrowed someone's and then one of the lads had a few bob and he said Dermot I'll buy you an accordion which he did Dermot could play it but he couldn't play the left hand couldn't work out the left hand at all no books then you know just be playing away because of the piano but one night he was dreaming and the left hand came to him and he got up and played it he practiced and practiced you could come in from school if he, if he was home early and he'd be there'd be runs you could hear him da 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 all the way on the left and the right hand side but he mastered it but he worked hard on it those early days of Dermot with the RD band represented his very first venture into the world of music although another of his sisters Trina can recall even earlier evidence of his introduction to those musical instruments there's a beautiful photograph in our house of Dermot sitting in the middle of all the band's instruments little cap on him and him blowing the trumpet somebody must have just got he would only have been about two or three in that photograph my uh, remembrance of all this would be from I was about nine ten uh, there's 18 years between Dermot and I I can remember Mary playing the accordion and Dermot playing the piano in our sitting room she used to have mummy used to have um, some guests over every now and again into the sitting room and my daddy'd sit over in the corner and he'd be boom 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 he was bass mummy would sing uh, you know horse songs Dermot would be on the piano and uh, there'd be some good old Cayleys there in Hale Street long ago really really good Cayleys it was a lovely family used to come down to our house from Carrick McCross McCabe's and they were great friends of Dermot's and one of them was a priest and uh, you know their brother and uh, he was killed in an accident in Huntstown so Dermot was very fond of his family but they were playing away and playing and mummy was walking across the floor in the sitting room and what happened only uh, one of these guys had put um, a cement dog's poo on Mammy's lovely floor and uh, it was just panic <laughs> I'm kicking it under a chair <laughs> Well, regardless of the trickery and tomfoolery that went on in the homestead on Hale Street, Dermot continued to develop his interest in music, aided by his time in the local school, where singing and performing was always encouraged. One of his classmates was Austin Nevins. The earliest I remember was there was a fesh, I think. There was choirs in the school. I think nearly every class had a choir. But we had a choir and Dermot conducted the choir. We won whatever was. But that was the De La Salle school? The De La Salle brothers, yeah. He was always a good singer, very good singer. When we were at school, like, he was one of the, the singers. There was a few more, but... Um, and at school, would you have been encouraged to, to sing in front of the class, for well, instance? It was choirs, more or less. It wouldn't be singing, it wouldn't be individual singing, but it would be choirs. And what age would you have been, Austin? Oh, I suppose 10 or 12, but like, I, went to, I went to, I think probably he'd done the same... We went to infants in the old school, which is the parochial hall. And then when the new school opened in 1938, we went to infants, high infants, in the new school. It was different them times. You didn't know, you didn't know people that well, you know. But Dermot, from an early age, developed a, an interest in, in music. Of oh, course, football, football was his other passion, but, but yeah, music equally. He was in the family. Like his father was the, Paddy O'Brien. He, he ran the, he kept the, the brass and reed band together for years. He was a great man of music. He, was, he knew his stuff. He was a great man to teach people. Took people in very young and he'd have them playing in no time, you know. It was different than now, like it was just marching. But I worked with his father, Dermot's father, in the chair factory. He was a sawyer. 
I was maintenance. So down with the accordion, what, what, what do you play the accordion now at school? Not at all, not, not, not at all. He, he, he um, was top music on the piano. Couldn't afford accordion then times. You didn't get an accordion until you go up and you had money to buy it yourself. Your parents hadn't the money to buy them. There wasn't that many like, people play, particularly piano accordions. It was all button accordions and old melodions and stuff like that at that time, like, you know, but... He was uh, doing all the exams and that on the piano, and so we were laughing at him. But uh, <laughs> paid him in the end. <laughs> on leaving school, Dermot got a job with Meath County Council as an office clerk, and in 1951 he joined the Emerald Cayley Band, who were based in Slane. He played with them for two years up until 1953 when he got the sack. That came about after Dermot suffered an injury in the All Ireland semi final against Kerry and couldn't play with the band that Sunday night as he was in hospital. He was promptly dismissed from the band. From his home in America, fellow loud accordionist Fintan Stanley, who later played with Dermot during the show band era, recalls those early days of Dermot's career when, as a teenager, he joined that first group. Dermot played the piano with the Emerald Cayley Band. That consisted of Jody Farrell, I think Jimmy Carroll and Benny Weldon and the great Paddy Riley on fiddle from Rath Brand, who's still, still going strong. Uh, he also worked at the county council offices in, in Navan. That was his day job at the time. So after the Emerald, there was a very uh, popular trio called the Vincent Lowe Trio. He was from Newry, and he had a great accordionist with him called Jackie Hurst, who played um, a five-row button chromatic accordion like the one I play. And um, anyway, Jackie, you know, they, they were on radio and everything, and they used to pack. I remember when I was a kid going in to see them in the, in the Whitwood Hall, the place was packed. So they were going seven nights a week for, I think, £21 for the band. So anyway, Jackie finally left Vincent Lowe, and uh, that was quite a spot to fill. So Vincent Lowe then asked Dermot to come with him. And how that link-up came about with the Vincent Lowe trio band was something Dermot's sister Mary can remember. Vincent Lowe came to RD, Jackie Hurst was the accordion player, and McGuigan, he was the drummer. And uh, during the break, you know, Dermot was the relief band, and Vincent was having tea, and he says, and he heard him playing, and he thought it was Jackie Hurst, and he came out. I just, I told him to take a break. What is he playing? And he came out, and I heard Dermot. So he didn't get the tea, he sat listening to Dermot. And then he came to Dermot, and he came back down to to talk terms and Dermot took him he took show me the town Dermot he said that you go up him so we took him round the town and he brought him to the St Mary's on the hill the Church of Ireland he took him in there and he showed him the church and whatever and when he got home Vincent took off his overcoat and Dermot saw the pioneer pin oh my god he said I took you to the wrong church <laughs> so that was the first but he played with him for a long time and Dermot's involvement with Vincent Lowe introduced him to a whole new music audience. The band were one of the top acts in the early 1950s and as a result earned a lot of national airplay on radio. Fintan Stanley again. In those days, on Saturday evenings, a kind of green scene, but all traditional Cayley bands. I think Leo Momoroku was the presenter and the announcer. This is on Radio Wayne. And you have all these kind of bands, of course, Vincent Lowe trio with Dermot, Johnny Pickering, the McCuskers, Maliki Sweeney, the Emerald Cayley Band, of course, the Tulla, the Kilfenora, Eugene Leddy, uh, who would be a relation of Tommy's, I believe, uh, the Gallaglass Cayley Band, Donald Ring and the Blarney from Cork, Maliki Doris. Austin Nevins, Dermot's classmate from school, believes Dermot learned a lot from his time with the Vincent Lowe three-piece. At that time, probably his influence as well was Jackie Hirsch, but he revolutionised the music, Vincent Lowe's band, because it was practically gone in this area. Like He brought back, definitely, and Dermot and all them lads copied him, but like he was playing a, what they call a five-row button, which was a big change from a piano chord. And like he, he had all his little runny notes beside him, but Dermot had to play all them notes on the piano chord. It was a different thing altogether. It was twice as hard to do. But he mastered it. Oh, yeah, he mastered it. And that ability to adapt was one of Dermot's main strengths. Unlike many of his peers, he stuck with the piano accordion as opposed to the button. Fintan Stanley explains how the two versions of the same instrument differed. Well, my accordion was like Jackie Hurst. Five rows of buttons on one side and, of course, 120 bass on the other. And it's a different thing altogether than a piano accordion. It's um, used a lot in, in France and Italy. 
And, you know, when you hear those French accordion champagne sounds, it's a beautiful sound. It's called the musette. That's usually button accordions that, that you, hear, you hear that from, you know. And the great Sean McGuire said, he said, it's not, it's not the tractor, he said, it's the driver. He said, it's not the piano, you know, it's the, it's the driver. But it was a sound the same, you know. See, the little, the little small accordion, I remember actually, there was a fellow in called Valby Hoy, going away back. He used to play, I think I remember it was the Morality Rooms, and that later became the sound shop by the Boyne River there. And he would play a little two-row accordion. Those type of accordions lend themselves more to Irish, you know, Cayley traditional music, as distinct from the five-row. You can play anything on it that you can play on a piano accordion. You can play jazz or anything, because... When you press the bellows, it's the same note in and the same note out. So you can get any five-note chords for jazz or anything. So um, there would be no um, discrepancy as to what you could hear out of a five-row. Mm. The same as a piano accordion. Whereas the little button accordions were more to, you know, Cayley bands and stuff. And with Dermot doing so well from his various nighttime gigs, Mario O'Brien says his day job in Navin was quickly becoming secondary. No money in the council. He was earning more money in one night than, than, than he earned in, a year, in months with the council. My mammy didn't want him to give off his good pensionable job, but Dermot, when she saw all the money coming in, that was a different story. After two years with Vincent Lowe, Dermot had reached a point whereby forming his own band was now a serious consideration. His next venture was the St Malachy's Cayley Band, whom he named after the nun who helped teach him the accordion, Sister Malachy. She was a huge influence on Dermot during his teenage years, and from the age of 14, took him under her wing, working hard to give him the musical education so that he could make a go of it in the world of show business. That schooling served Dermot well in the decades which followed, and the teenage years of toil certainly paid off. Another noted accordion player with a close association to Dermot was Seamus Shannon. He performed and recorded with him in later years, and Dermot also produced a number of his albums. Seamus says Dermot was a natural. Anything he played, it wasn't so much that it was Dermot O'Brien playing the accordion. No matter what he played on it, he had a great feel for music. And I'd say, if obviously, the same input that he had in football, it wasn't surprising that he was such a great player. He was a great inspiration to a lot of uh, accordion players. Dermot O'Brien, he, he was a kind of an icon, uh, I would have regarded. One aspect, I think, of his personality was he, had, he was an amazingly confident man. I remember one time looking at some footage of the Late Late Show in his early days and somebody asked him to play a tune and he, he walked up and he played it and it didn't knock a feather out of him and he just played the accordion on its own. Mary, can you remember Dermot's biggest audience in those early years when he was in the bands? Where did he play locally? It was over in Bellingham Castle and I was sitting up on the balcony and he sang something and I laughed that much I missed the song because I, I, I never, never heard him. I had heard him singing. He, as a young man, he would play the piano but he'd have his back to us and he'd face, be facing the, the wall and the piano was up against the wall and be sitting, and the fireplace was behind and he'd sing but Kevin Barry was one of his songs that was one of his songs but that was Mammy's song Stone Outside Dan Murphy's Door that was the song and I still love him singing that So Bellingham Castle would have been one of his first public appearances yeah. and he played the trombone that night which amazed me because I'd never seen him playing the trombone but I was obviously home from England and it, this was new to me Then it started then that he started bringing us to the dances I got when I was 13 because uh, the older ones were going and I was quite safe but it was great like it was young you were allowed to go out dancing by the year 1962, Dermot O'Brien took the bold decision to leave his pensionable job with Meath County Council so that he could pursue his career as a full-time musician. By this time, his football career had already come to an end. Next up, it was the band that took him to a new level and eventually the hit that made him a star. Fintan Stanley again. The club and then, of course, were formed you know, after the Cayley Band. The name probably was derived from a weekly hop in the Lourdes Boys Club. I think he probably took the, the clubman name from that. There was a hop down there. A hop meaning... <laughs> there was a lot of hops in them days. Little, little dances during the week. You know, a hop it would be called. And uh, the original lineup of the clubman would have been Dermot, of course, on accordion, Tom Finless on the banjo, 
uh, Jimmy Fitz on the bass, and Pat Jackson, uh, was from Hermann's Gardens, I think, uh, on the sax, and Johnny Barton, of course, on the drums. That was the original lineup. And then later, um, Paddy Farrell from Laytown on guitar, uh, myself playing piano and banjo, and uh, I played the box then on the brakes. In those days, uh, they didn't have a relief bands. You know, the one band had to do everything. It'd be five hour, nine to two, five hour dances. So um, the band, you know, would play for a while, and then half of the band would go for their supper, and the other half would stay on the stage. So Dermot would go for a supper with a couple of the guys, and he'd probably leave the drummer with me. And at that point, I'd pull out my accordion and <laughs> play for the break. Yeah. Otherwise, it was the piano and the banjo. George O'Reilly was the club men's first manager, while also part of that management team was Drahada man Jim Hand. And between them, they set about the task of identifying a song capable of making the top of the charts. It being the year of 1966, the 50th anniversary of the 1916 Rising was being commemorated, so a tune that would tie in with the mood of the nation would surely be ideal. The one chosen was an old war rebel song penned by Dominic Behan and seemed like just a sort of cheery quick-step ballad that could walk the oracle. The single was rushed to market to compete with a top 100 ranking cover of the same song. Dermot himself can remember the lead-up to the tune being worked on and recorded. Speaking in his native tongue on a TV programme produced by Newark T.G. Carr back in the early noughties, he spoke about his management team's part in getting the selection right. The manager again, I'm George O'Reilly. I was full vanished all Jim Hand. I was doing Jim Hand out on. I was going to again of Kenny again of the hour on shot. Not in LA. I was doing Ken out on a shin Jim. Doing on Mary Plowby. Doing a cool me. I happen to come more shin dancer. Two a.m. of our session. I was in Monaghan. Cover the shot. Eamon Andrews and Manford. Nigel Degas and Shaskishe. It's Kevin Nomgo. Romer Casa. Nigel Kenny. Doreen Morera. Sahan. The Vimor Clachta, Vimor Artlachta, Niha Rivishin, Vimor Casacolin in his clone, Kundathigi. Hanamar Gadi and Kaharan Lad, Dargyan, August Renamal, and Tafadan Chin. It's the studios and Chin. George O'Reilly talked about it. They, were, they had, he had an office in, in over Henry Street near the, near RTE, and they had the window open when they were playing the result, the, the, the finished product. And he said, Come here, Dermot. He took him over to the window and there was a crowd outside in Henry Street listening to it. Play it again, play it again. Now I am a jolly cloud boy and I plough the fields by day till the sun cut into my mind that I should run away. Now I've always hated slavery since the day that I was born. So I'm off to join the IRA and I'm off to Mongo Morn. So we're off to Dublin in the green, in the green, where the helmets glisten in the sun, where the painters flash and the rifles crash to the echo of the My old great book, and I leave aside my plow, and I leave aside my horse and the oak, for no more I'll need them now. And I'll take my short revolver and my bandolier of a bled, and live or die, I can but try to avenge my country's dead. Hey! 
People bought the single. Oh, they bought it and bought it. Yeah. And then he recorded it in German. And it went to Germany, so... That was the, the making of the, the Clubmen in the early days. That was the making of the Clubmen and, and himself, obviously. And it was a great, great tune. It was a lovely, rousing, marching tune. Was, and the accordion opening up was, was, was fabulous. It's a fabulous tune. And Mary, do you remember much about the charts at that time and when Ward came through that uh, Dermot and the Clubmen had made number one? I think Barney Corn had it out at the same time and they came in at number 10. And I lost interest once I heard someone else was playing, singing this song. And I went into the sitting room with Trina. We sat watching TV and next thing was the door burst open and the middle sister Tony came screaming, he's number one, he's number one. And he was number one, and we all danced in the middle of the floor. And Mammy was down; she was building the, the house, the, the new house, and she was painting something. And she stopped with the paintbrush in her hand. She said, "Did he say number one?" <laughs> we were sitting round the fire, and uh, Mammy was uh, painting the walls in the new house, and I was knitting, and uh, uh, Tony was there, and and we were, oh, he's not in. The, they got number ten. And we were there listening to it and listening and listening. And I remember just standing up and throwing me knitting in the air. Do you remember, Mary? And I sat back down in the chair and I punctured myself with the needle. <laughs> but what was, we were so happy, but we were so sad that Daddy didn't live. Just Daddy wasn't long gone. The Merry Ploughboy spent six weeks at number one in September and October that year. And the success of the single presented further opportunities for Dermot and his band. By now, they were a huge attraction on the booming dancehall circuit, while on the other side of the Atlantic, Dermot's rise didn't go unnoticed either. As part of celebrations to mark St. Patrick's Day, the legendary Bing Crosby visited Dublin to record a special show, and with the club men riding on the crest of a wave, they were invited to make a guest appearance alongside Bing and Irish actor Milo O'Shea. And here's Ireland's favourite show band, Dermot O'Brien and his club men. Come single bell and bow, and to me pay attention Don't ever fall in love, for tis the devil's own invention For once I fell in love, with a maiden so bewitching Miss Henry Isabel, out of Captain Kelly's kitchen With a toodle-oodle-la The original Clubmen lineup has already been alluded to But there was plenty of chopping and changing in the intervening years As musicians moved around regularly between bands Fintan Stanley remembers some of those who later linked up with the Clubmen Derek McCormick, Willie Healy from the Rotterdam um, on trumpet and Eamon Campbell of course the late Eamon Campbell all great musicians Tom Finlayson and Jimmy Fitzpatrick and the original um, subman they were part of an older group with Brian Hoy called the Mountaineers and uh, they used to do, you know, hillbilly kind of songs. They were very good, and they'd wear the hats and, and the cowboy stuff. And Fenton, where did you fit in with Dermot? I know you had your own band, the Fenton Stanley Six, but uh, what about your time with Dermot and the club men? I was part of the um, of his Cayley band. We used to play in the O'Connell Hall in Dublin for a programme called the Dinjo Programme. Dinjo, was a, he was a big, heavy guy, a nice fellow from Cork, and he was sort of, um, you know, he'd tell jokes and stuff, and a uh, bit of a shadow key, you know. I remember in those days, I guess we didn't have all the fancy technology, we were on one side with the Cayley band of the stage and we'd play some Cayley music and then Dinger would go out front and we'd be telling a few jokes. He used to tell a dry one. He said, you know, the, that major lens that went up in space for America, he was one of the lens of Anthem. So I'd be <laughs> talking about these dry jokes. But anyway, then we'd have to tip, tiptoe across the stage to join the club and do our next step. As referenced there by Fintan Stanley, the late Derek McCormack was part of the later Clubmen lineup before going on to link up with the Barley Corn. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. 
At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. And then there was Eamon Campbell, another talented Drogheda performer who later found further fame with the Dubliners. Before his passing earlier this year, Eamon spoke about his time in Dermot's band. I had been with Dermot in the government and we had left and we formed our own band which didn't go great called uh, the Turgerman. So I was playing at the Turgerman and the Country Gents and picking up anything to make a few bob basically. And then Dermot O'Brien asked us, uh, would we go back? So by this stage there was a chap playing bass with us who had been the guitar player with Dermot when I arrived called Paddy Farrell Automation from Laytown. Derek then was the bass player with the Tiger Man and he sang a lot with us and Timmy Regan, Timmy's a great singer and they used to, used to do a lot of book owned stuff and that and Derek could sing harmony it was, it was a good band so Dermot asked us to come back to him so Derek ended up coming back with us so Derek played with Dermot Brian Clubman with the band if you like for about three years and then the whole scene started changing in Ireland and what they call cabaret came in like pubs so um, Dermot decided that's where the future lay so it ended up Dermot, Johnny Barton, Lord of Mention, Derek and myself. So the four of us gigged uh, as Dermot O'Brien, the, the Dermot O'Brien, I don't know if it was still the clubman. Now we did a couple of tours of um, America when it was Dermot O'Brien, the clubman. There was a record a label here called Release Records and they managed Dermot. And on, uh, it was Release Records on tour and it was Dermot and the clubman, Larry Cunningham, Nita Norrie, I don't know if you've heard of Nita, Sean McGuire, my great fiddle player, and Josie on the piano. And the compere was Jimmy McGee. And indeed, the late Jimmy McGee was to be a major player during the next phase of Dermot's career. With the golden era of the showband scene coming to an end, a new decade was dawning and a new direction required. Long-time band manager Joe McCadden takes up the story of what happens next. In 1971, I was working with Release Records at the time and we were just starting up a record, a cabaret section, Release Cabaret. And the directors of Release Records was Mick Clerken and the late Jimmy McGee. And Jimmy was fairly friendly with Dermot at the time. And uh, we started this cabaret section and it was the start of the boom of the cabaret pubs all around rural Ireland and kind of the demise of the dry hall ballrooms, the showbands. And Dermot was at a stage that he didn't really fit into the ballrooms really at that stage because he was um, neither country or pop. And he was the only man up on stage with an accordion and he looked a bit like a Cayley band. Now that was great in the 60s when uh, that era was fine but when it came to the early 70s he slipped between two, two stools really. He was neither pop or country and the cabaret scene was the ideal place for him. Anyway, when we started to release Cabaret, we had a few acts. Uh, Dermot Hegarty was another who kind of slipped between two stools at that stage. But Dermot reduced the band to uh, three three lads and himself. He held on to Johnny Barton on drums, Terry McCormick on bass, and Eamon Campbell on guitar and banjo. Now, Eamon only stayed about three months, and uh, but Dermot continued with the uh, two lads. And they played every pub and round rural Ireland six nights a week and the so-called cabaret lounge scene was uh, booming at right through the whole 70s. Dermot, this gave him a whole new lease of life and also Mick gave him the job of producing most of the re- release records. Artists such as Larry Cunningham and Dermot Hegarty and uh, all the bands at the time that were on the release record label which was almost everybody in the country. And uh, Dermot also recorded a load of songs then at that time for release records and they were all hits like Galway Shawl, Greenfield's Round for Band, The Boys of Killy Beggs, Clatter Ring. He had a load of hits. Was my grandmother's She wore it a lifetime And gave it to me All through the long years She wore it so proudly It was made where the cloud rose down to the sea What tales it could tell Of trials 
and of hardships and of grand happy days when the whole world could sing. So away with your sorrow, it will bring love tomorrow. Sure, everyone loves it. We all fly to ring. With the crown and the crest. Remind us of honor and clasping of the heart that God's blessing would bring. A circle of gold, always kept homes contented with true love entwined in the old flattering. As she knelt at her prayers and thought of her dear ones, her soft, gentle smile it would charm a king. On her warm hand, as she told me her story, you could see the bright glint of the old ring. It was her gift to me, and it made me so happy. With this on my finger, my heartbeats would ring. No king on his throne. Could be half so happy as I am when wearing my old ring. When the angels above call me up to heaven, in the heart of the clatter, their voices will sing, saying, "Away with your sorrow! You'll be with us tomorrow. Be sure and bring with you the old ring." It's probably the biggest name on the cabaret circuit, right from the early 70s to the late 70s, along with others like Brendan Grace and Jim McCann and Dublin City Ramblers. They were all doing it, but Dermot was the big attraction. And not just in Ireland, he was uh, travelling abroad with the band? He travelled to the UK. We used to do six weeks non-stop every year in the spring, March, April. He could play about six or seven clubs at, at a time in Birmingham, the same in London. He did ten different social clubs, Irish clubs, Catholic clubs in Manchester. All round, he got six weeks every year, including Patrick's Day during the spring, as I say. Two good friends of his in Manchester were the Kennedy brothers, Joe and John. Joe had a big Rolls-Royce. They were from Bunnanatton in County Sligo. He used to give Dermot the Rolls-Royce <laughs> drive around Manchester in when he was there. And they also had a box in Old Trafford. And uh, Johnny Barton was a great Man United fan at the time. And uh, if we happened to be in Manchester at the time Man United were playing at Old Trafford, we had the run of the Kennedy's box at Old Trafford at the time, you know, which was great, you know. <laughs> would follow so Ronan, there was yourself, there was your dad obviously and your mum Rosemary, what about the rest of the brothers and sisters? We were all born in Dublin, there's five of us, there's Catherine, myself, Dermot, our Dermot, uh, Grace and Roisin. The memories from Dublin were, we were Clonsky, south side of Dublin and it was, the big memory was countryside. You know, Dublin was nothing like it is now. I have early memories of coming down to visit Granny. Uh, Daddy would just, he'd come in from work some nights maybe, and he would just want to see his mother, our Granny. And it could be two o'clock in the morning, and he would just pack us all up and head down to see Granny down in RDE. Um, my granddad, he he passed away just, I was only a few months old, and uh, so I have no real recollection of Granddad. But growing up in Dublin, I mean, it was around the height of his, I suppose, his, some of his successes. Uh, we had everything we wanted, you know. Uh, he, was, he was doing really well at the time. And Mary, as Ronan has mentioned, um, at that time, Dermot, he was writing, recording, producing. There was an endless amount of work. He wrote a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff. Daniel O'Donnell recorded a lot of his stuff. Uh, Homeboy's Home was another one, and the Killy Beggs. There's a nurse here in the town, and she came in to see me when I had I was in hospital. And she said, your brother is God round where I come from. I said, where are you from? She says, awfully. I said, for ban. She said, yeah. Oh, I said, the Greenfields. Oh, I love that song. It's a beautiful song. My vision shows where the Brosnan flows in the Greenfields round the band. And Ronan, another well-known song would have been Dublin Town in 1962. That was written about your mum? Yes, uh, that was written about Mammy. Uh, Mammy and Daddy would have 
met in Dublin around that time and I suppose no harm in saying a bit of a whirlwind romance the story I heard was that I think daddy was on he was supposed to meet somebody for a date and I don't know whether they didn't turn up or he just my mother caught his eye she was manager under Gresham around that time and that's where his date was and I believe it all started off from that and, and your mom now, did she play music? No, mammy didn't play music. Uh, a bit like myself, she'd try and sing an odd time. <laughs> My kids say, Dad, just tell us one more time About when you were young and in your prime And the way that you met Ma everything you saw and tell us all the things you used to do all our days were sunny and all our skies were blue in Dublin town in 1962 sunny and all our skies were blue in Dublin town in 1962 he had his own programme on RTE and that started, well, it must have been the early 70s, uh, a lad, two lads in RTE, Adrian Cronin was one and Bill Keating was a producer and they wanted fillers during the World Cup for about 15 minutes in between matches. And uh, they asked Emmett would uh, he come out and record 15 minute slots just that he could slot in during the games in the World Cup. And uh, he did it and Derek was with him and Johnny. And uh, that led then to, the reaction was so good, it led to other TV slots then in the following years, subsequent years after that, which did various guests on with Dermot. I can remember Finton there and I remember uh, Clannet were on, they were very young at the time, like probably nearly unknown at that time you know but uh, it was a great series in fact I still have the RTE guide uh, which is tabloid size not like it is today with Dermot on the cover (laughs) black and white Dermot's other big passion along with his music and his football was his love of the Irish language and whatever chance he got to speak in his native tongue he would gladly throw in the cupola focal Dermot loved nothing better than to mix business and pleasure down in West Kerry where he felt at home and at ease during his many visits, he struck up a close friendship with local hotel manager John Moriarty. He liked nothing more than coming to Dingle and West Kerry Gaeltert. He loved the Irish language and he loved talking football and singing and songwriting and all that stuff. So he always came here and we had a wonderful working relationship with him at the Hillgrove Hotel. The ballroom era had come to an end and he was doing cabaret shows and he had a three-piece cabaret show and we used to have him regularly in the spa room. And he used to pack the place out from nine o'clock until two o'clock in the morning. Very generous with his time always. A gentleman, as you could say, a class act on stage because he put his heart and soul into his music. And he was a pleasure to work with, a pleasure to see him perform. Anytime he was coming down, I look forward to it because I was managing the hotel myself and we developed a great friendship and we met in many parts of the world after that, in London and Dublin, and I could go on and on. But he was one of my great friends in life and we ended up often going back to Radio on the Goethe to do an interview when he was in Dingle. He loved golfing as well back here in Ballyferreter. So a fabulous, fabulous, gentle, humble man who had no greed, no lust for money. He wasn't money-driven at all. He just loved music, loved life. He had Irish. Irish was easy. He went to Ranafast. He was good. He was great. I'd love to hear him talk. He'd love to go to Kerry. He would go down to Kerry, down to Pawdy. I remember the first day he told me that Pawdy rang him. He said, what does Pawdy O'Shea want me for? I've never spoken to Pawdy O'Shea. He, he rang him. Anyway, he said, I, I thought to myself, I better ring him and just see how, what did he want. And he said, hello, Pawdy. When are you coming to me? He said, I had no clue what he was on about. But he ended up and he went down and he was treated like a lord down there. Oh, he loved Kerry. He went to Donegal and he said, Donegal's beautiful, beautiful mountains. It's not Kerry. Over in Killarney. While the 60s and 70s were generally good to Dermot O'Brien, the slump of the early 1980s hit him and his family hard. Dermot had bought a pub in his hometown RD and it proved financially crippling. It was a dark period and ultimately forced him to leave Ireland and emigrate to the US. 
In the Onnuk TG Car TV programme, Dermot and his wife Rosemary were able to retrace that most difficult time in their lives. See, I was in the hotel business, so I was able to cook anyway. I had done all that. I hope the people didn't <laughs> like my food. But it, it, that part of it went well, but things just didn't work. Oh, he wanted to get out. He wanted to get away from Ireland. He just felt hurt. He wanted to get away. I suppose when your business doesn't go right, you want to get away as far as possible from it. It's very hard to be a prophet in your own hometown. And Dermot had this notion that he should, I suppose, as a backup to his music, have a, a bit of business on the side. So he bought this pub and he ran into huge difficulties and costs. He used to ring me and say, Jesus, John, what am I going to do? This is hemorrhaging money and losses. And he said, you know, could you come up? So I, I was up in RD trying to give him advice and trying to tell him what to do. <laughs> He was a man of energy, very driven, and he kept going and hit back to America, sold off the place eventually, and stepped it all over again, if you like. He felt so bad. He felt kind of let down. He, and he loves Ireland, and he loved Ireland. He'd never go to America, because I had suggested in earlier years, wouldn't America be great? And he said, no, I love Ireland, and I love my Irish. There was nothing. Travelled very light, nothing. Met Jimmy McGee, bought me a drink on the plane, and a few other friends that I had. Jimmy and Marie. That helped. Ronan, I can just imagine what that period must have been like for the family and the huge decision to emigrate. Well, I didn't go. I was the one that stayed at home. I was 18 and the rest of them decided to go. But uh, circumstances, I stayed here and... um I was in love. <laughs> I was actually going out with my wife, Nolene, at the time. And I stayed here. And again, tough times separating from the family. They all went over. But it worked out well in the end because uh, Mammy and Daddy started to drift back over here. And it gave them a nice link and a nice base to check in again. And rebuild his career is exactly what Dermot did. Just a few years earlier, fellow accordionist Fintan Stanley had also made the move stateside. He came over after me. And uh, then he came to New York with Rosemary, his wife, and stuff. And, um, you know, I used to go down to see him in New York, and um, they settled down there in Long Island uh, for a while. And he did the whole American scene. And finally finished up just doing the thing on his own, but he did very well here. He was, you know, he was doing good. It was... Dermot proved hugely popular with the Irish diaspora in the States, but he also found time in his schedule to return to play in Ireland and the UK. In 1995, he joined the renowned Jury's Cabaret and spent six years performing with them in Dublin and on their US tours. Another man who shared a stage with Dermot on both sides of the Atlantic was well-known comedian and entertainer Noel V. Ginnity. I was at the Burlington Hotel, that's where my show was. Uh, Dermot was at the Jury's, but... I used to go down from the Burlington after the gig and we'd meet in the Berkeley Court and we'd have a few a few sips on I wasn't drinking. But he'd have a glass or two of wine and he was living out in Docky here then. So I used to give him a lift home some evenings and, and, and indeed Rosemary Lord Merchant. Yeah. The shows in America now, the format of those kind of sh- shows, what were they like, Noel? Tony Kenny was the star and, and then I started to bring my own show later but when I worked with Dermot it was on Tony Kenny's show. Dancers, box player, the singer... And among the Irish diaspora and American, oh, these, yeah. these would have been massive shows. Yeah, they'd pack out 2,000 people. And, yeah. We'd play in Boston like for Saturday and Sunday, there'd be 2,000 at each show, yeah. yeah. Oh, great. But we, we did all America. Like I, I, I've been in places in America that Americans come to see me now, they haven't been, you know. We, we travelled all over America, yeah. He could read the music and he could write music. And, oh, yeah, talented man. 
Seamus Shannon, if you were a fan of Dermot's music and you were coming into the city, going to the Jury's Cabaret to see him perform, that'd be a big thing. That was the place to go. If you were in Dublin, you went, everyone uh, went out to Jury's Cabaret and uh, it was a kind of a, a tourist attraction, mainly Americans and whoever would be over, where do you go here? And they'd all go to Jury's and uh, that was a very, a hugely entertaining show. I suppose it was handy for him at the end of the show band. Uh, the, the only thing about the show band thing, it's great, but it's the travelling miles, you know, from Athlone to Kerry and uh, Athlone to Donegal and stuff. And, you know, after a while, you know, it, it kind of, people can tire of that. Uh, 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 when you're doing it for years and years, you know, and uh, it, it, the, the Jury's Cabaret thing was very handy for Dermot because he was living in Dublin and all he had to do was, uh, as the man says, drive in in the car and he was there. Maura Begley, uh, your cousin John Moriarty became a great friend of Dermot's down here in the kingdom and you too also became very close to the O'Briens uh, and you yourself, you hail from the famous Begley family of musicians so you all had a lot in common. I was always a fan of Dermot O'Brien's. Piano accordion wasn't that well known here but for some reason I had I had one myself. My uncle gave it to me and so I went to a nun in Dingle and I got lessons for about a month. Then roll on the years, I had... Um, a thatched house down in, in Castle Gregory, my late husband's place. And I ran concerts there. This is now in the zero, two, three, you know, four, five. And Dermot came and packed the place. And he'd always ask me to go up and, and play with him for the Cuckoo Walls or the Alpine Slopes because he composed Alpine Slopes. And it was always a joy to have Dermot. Uh, I would bring him back to the hospital in Dingle and he'd entertain the the patients there and one day when we just stopped at the door a, a car stopped and a, four or five nuns got out and they said oh Dermot O'Brien and he played for them there on the spot you know for many many years he came down to do the dance on the evening of the regatta at the Hillgrove Hotel here and he was very friendly with Tommy McCarthy who was the owner and Leo Bruston the organiser of the regatta and the crowds that used to wait for the door to open and the amount of dancing that was done on the night was just phenomenal because he could do the dingle regatta on the piano accordion like nobody else could do it it really was the highlight of the whole summer season that him the dingle regatta loved doing it kept that date for us always we got an invite play the accordion and fiddle clubs in Scotland by from a guy called David Ross in Kilmarnock. Dermot was keen to do it but he was very nervous about it because the, Scotland is full of accordion players from Jimmy Shan down you know but he, he said I'll, I'll have a go so he went over and he did seven nights in the accordion and fiddle clubs. Now at these shows he might only sing two or three songs a night at most. All they wanted to hear was just him up on stage playing the accordion and after the seven uh, nights around uh, Scotland he couldn't believe the reaction and he went back and he ended up he was doing three weeks of shows uh, every year at the accordion fiddle clubs and he was treated like God over there now it was strange to see him over there doing nothing only playing the accordion sing about two or three songs here in Ireland it was the opposite <laughs> but uh, he actually recorded an album then for um, Tribute to Scotland which sold huge in Scotland at the time it was on the release record label and they licensed it to another company in Scotland but uh, he was treated like God over there he told me one time that he got a terrible trouble in America for singing the tough man from R.D. This woman came up to him after and attacked him. He said to him, how dare he sing vulgar songs in front of her daughter. He didn't know what she was talking about. Like, and it turned out it was the tough man from R.D. Because an ass in America is a different name than an ass in R.D. <laughs> and she attacked him over this. And your ass must be very old. Marry all the hits, the tough man, the ploughboy, the Galway show, the Greenfields round for band, the list goes on and on. But there are also some lesser uh, known songs that Dermot would have wrote and recorded that struck a chord with you in particular. And they are two that are related to the Troubles in the North. It's um, called There'll Have to Be an End to It Someday. It's a story of three young men who died in, during the Troubles. One was a Catholic boy, Peter John Mackay. He sang the songs of Liberty and Brave Henry Joy. Then the second ch chap was... Uh, Protestant lad, Sammy Nelson. They wrapped the sash around him and they laid him in the clay. And the third boy was young Henry Baxter. He came from across the sea. And when he was a boy, he said a soldier he would be. But in the streets of Belfast, he fell at the sniper's hand. A victim of a bitter hate he didn't understand. Those words stay with me, the bitter hate. But he wrote another one about Bloody Sunday. Because he knew the father of the youngest, the last to be. 
identified. He knew him just an ordinary Sunday, a day of rest and worship for all the family. But when that day was done, there was a stone where my heart used to be. Beautiful words, beautiful music. And Ronan, one of your dad's big pastimes was playing golf, but he and your mum also took up art uh, during their time in America. Mammy would have always been talented in the art side. And then when they went over there, particularly in Florida, where they had a place for a while, they would do uh, plenty of painting and plenty of art. And I think we all have, we all have some of their work. Um, I have one at home I have particular pride in. I think one that Mammy started just before she passed away and then Daddy finished it. So I think I have the only one that... Both of them have a hand in. I travelled America with him, up and down America, five or six times. And there'd be long tours. Rosemary used to send him out the uh, the crossword from the Irish Times. We doing them in the car. I hated him when he was doing the crosswords because we know chat from him, you know. He had uh, he had a wealth of great stories, you know. And it's one of the things, you know, all, all these great people that are gone, the stories are gone with them, you know. He never gave up. He was a man of good, great faith as well. I think that helped him along, you know. And he had an amazing wife and Rosemary. She was she was a rock really in, in his life and, and they had a lovely relationship to them. His daughter as well, Rogine, she came as well a few times to our place and sang. She was a beautiful singer herself. She did a few spots with Dermot in, in, at my place. All those great classics he had, very few could play like him. He often mentioned Fintan Stanley to me as one of the greatest chord box and piano accordion players in the country. And he mentioned James Begley as one of the nicest singers in the country. And that's a big compliment here tomorrow who's sitting near us. And he was very, very into Liam O'Goflin. He thought the pipes were the most beautiful of instruments to play. So very talented, could play the piano too and could play the guitar a little. What fabulous man. He rebranded himself a few times. He'd go again and get up and get knocked down. And I think that was the persona of the man in relation to his footballing career and his music career. He'd dust himself down and go again. So he rebuilt himself literally from scratch in America and had a nice comfortable lifestyle. After his wife died and we used to go for dinner one night over to Donegan's. I'm sure everybody had known there. He got well spoilt in Donegan's. It was lovely travel travelling different places, places that I hadn't gone even round County Louth. Imagine getting lost in County Louth, but we did on the bog road. I don't know where we were going, but we, uh, we did. He wasn't really well that time, you know, and he would be on his treatment some of the time, and we used to be driving home at night, and when it, the light would be red, he'd lose, lose the head a bit, you know. So when we began into the car, we'd be going home from any of those nights. I used to say, now, Dermot, you know what? And he'd say, what? And I'd say, we're not going to fight with the traffic lights tonight, so we're not. <laughs> and uh, he'd laugh and he'd say, there's 20 or 24, I don't know how many it was, from there to his own house. And he knew how many lights was on the road. He was a great man. Like, if you asked him to do something, he'd certainly do it, even when he wasn't done well. But I, I remember him being in the hall in the Notion home in August. And the rumour was around that he wasn't well, you know. He said to me, I'm going back to America, he said. I'm going for treatment. And the wife was very upset about it. And he went back and she went back. And but it was a couple of months after, in November, she died. And that was an awful shock. The last time he played was down in Stabannon. Uh, it was a session. He went to hospital the next day, I think. And it was the last he played. He was great fun to work with in the studio. I mean, he was he was tremendously witty man. He had a great way of relaxing you, no matter when the pressure was on. You'd always feel at ease with him. And the stories he had and the yarns and all, we were falling around in stitches at him in the studio. He was he was priceless. What I liked about him was he absolutely straight. You knew where you stood. There was no ducking and diving. It was straight out. You knew where you were with, with Dermot, which I liked. He taught me a lot, I have to say now. Uh, it's sad to think now that I, when I'm doing this now and thinking back on all the people who we were involved with at the time, like there was Dermot and Rosemary and Derek and uh, Bernadette and Johnny and Marie and Jimmy McGee and so forth, and they're all dead now, you know. I'm still around because of, I was <laughs> so young at the time, uh, you know, but um, it, it, when you think back on it, it's, it's a long time ago, but it's not that long ago, and yet none of them are around now, you know. She's my O'Brien, the King of the Accordion, was written, produced and presented by Colm Corrigan. With sincere thanks to all contributors, including the O'Brien family. Archive material was supplied by Newarkt TG Cahar. The programme was funded by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland with the television licence fee. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.